The lesson we're going to meditate on this morning is our second lesson for today from 1 John. I'm going to reread it for you. John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. A couple days ago, a friend of mine shared with me a video. It was just a couple seconds long, but it, was, it showed a mountain climber. It was from a, a GoPro on the mountain climber's helmet or whatever. He was on the side of a mountain. There was some wooded area below the mountain. It was one of those that have steps that go up. He was glued to the side of the mountain doing his thing when out of nowhere, great big black bear jumps over the side of the mountain and tries to take a bite out of him. Thinking quickly, he pushes the black bear off and he starts yelling. You're supposed to make yourself seem like a threat, like they don't want to mess with you. So he starts yelling, and the black bear paws at him a little bit, but decides to leave him alone. He climbs to the top of the mountain in order to get to safety. It's a happy ending. Everyone survived. The bear wasn't hurt. The man wasn't hurt. <clears throat> but it was just a couple second long video. It was enough to get my adrenaline pumping. I'm, I'm thinking about it now, and I'm already kind of nervous. It's not the situation I would ever want to be in. So I did something that I don't recommend any of you do. I read the comments. And the comments settled into two camps. One camp watched this video and said, what is that man doing there? If that bear would have hurt him, it would have served him right, because bears have this natural instinct. He probably was between the bear and her cubs. He was probably around to kill, and predator animals have to protect their meals, of course. Of course, the other camp said, wow, that's amazing. He was able to keep his cool. He was able to remember what he learned in the Boy Scouts or whatever when a bear attacks. He was able to survive the encounter. Isn't that amazing? And I call them two camps, but I don't want to call them two sides of the same coin because they're not. Both things can be true, can't they? We know that animals have these instincts that, if, that when animals attack, it's usually because something was wrong, someone didn't realize they were between a mama bear and her cubs or something like that. But also, I think it's fair to say that it's pretty amazing that this man knew what to do, kept his cool, kept his composure enough to survive the encounter. Both things are true. And if it would have gone worse, if he would have been injured or worse than that, I have to think that there would be at least one person out there saying, serves him right. We would be far more willing to blame the bear for acting on its instinct than, say, if it were a person. If it's a person who jumps off the side of the mountain, mountain trying to attack that man, completely different story. I don't think a whole lot of people would say, oh, it's in their instinct to be violent, even though it is. Isn't our worst behavior, our bad behavior, part of our instinct when you're fighting when, when you're fighting to kick bad habits? Don't you feel like you're fighting your own 
instinct? That's exactly what John is saying in his epistle. He warns us about our own instincts. He invites us through this lesson, through his letter, to put our desires and our instincts under the microscope because we recognize that unlike the bear on the side of a cliff, not all of our instincts are worth following. Not all of them come from a good place. So how do we make sense of this? Have you heard of the famous psychological experiment Pavlov's dog? Ivan Pavlov was a Russian psychologist in the 19th century, and he figured out what is now called conditioning or something like that. He rang a bell every time he fed a dog a little treat. So eventually, what happened? Every time he rang the bell, the dog thought it was treat time. As the body reacted, he got hungry. His mouth started salivating. If any of you are Office fans, this was recreated in one of the episodes, wasn't it? When Jim Halpert, every time he boots up his computer, he offers Dwight Schrute a mint so that eventually all it takes is the sound of Microsoft Windows booting up, and Dwight Schrute says, why am I salivating? And it's funny when it's on the office until you think about what that means about our nature, about our instincts. We can be trained, contrary to even our desire, to want certain things at certain times. Not all of our instincts are natural. Some of them have been taught to us, even without our realizing it. And that's scary. It's scary because advertisers know this already, don't they? Why else would you have at the end of an Axe body spray commercial, the young man is being hugged by a beautiful woman? They're not saying it, that if you use Axe body spray, this will happen to you, but they're heavily implying it, aren't they? You know those how it feels to chew five gum commercials? Someone pops a piece of that gum in their mouth and all of a sudden they're having this crazy sensory experience. Or even a Swiffer wet jet. You're, you're cleaning up your house and at the end of the commercial, the person sits down on their couch. They have this big, beautiful smile on their face like everything in their life is totally fine. And you look around the house and it's not only are the floors are clean, but the furniture is perfectly arranged, and it's a perfectly beautiful modern home, as if Swift, the Swiffer wet jet can fix all of your problems. And to find out that these are false promises, all you have to do is buy the product, because five gum, the flavor lasts for five seconds. Axe body spray will do nothing to fix a broken and bad personality. And the Swiffer wet jet will not solve your marriage problems, your, your relationship with your kids, or rearrange your house for you, will it? And before I get all smug and think that I'm so sophisticated that these advertisements have no effect on me, I realize that this is exactly the way the world plays upon my sinful nature. It's like ads are running constantly that are conditioning us, even Christians, yes, to think that sin is good. And every time I sin, I'm buying the product. I'm buying into the lie. This thing called the sinful nature has been coming up in our sermons lately. The sinful nature is that part of us that wants to be as distant from God as possible. 
that rather dislikes God, even it, it, it hates God. When God says something, the sinful nature wants to instantly disagree. When God holds out a promise, a blessing, the sinful nature is skeptical. And if a similar blessing is held out in a different way that involves not getting involved with God, the sinful nature is all for it. If we are promised via the world in its advertisements that you can find sexual satisfaction and pleasure outside of God's definition of marriage, the sinful nature is all for that. If we are able to promote ourselves and, and uh, advance this personal project of making ourselves as best as we can to the ignoring our, our neighbor and his or her needs and helping them the way God wants us to, the sinful nature will go with the former thing, right? The sinful nature wants nothing to do with God but still wants the blessings that only God can provide. And so what are we to say? It's not my fault when I sin. It's just instinct. Am I when I sin? Are you when you sin like that mama bear just protecting her cubs? We're just doing what we're pre-programmed to do? Can we say the devil made me do it or the world made me do it, that this is just what I was trained to do like Pavlov's dog? No, we can't say that because God did not create us to sin. God did not pre-program us to sin. Sin is a corruption of who we're supposed to be. God created us to be in a loving, beautiful fellowship relationship with him, to be holy, to live forever, and sin has done nothing but ruin that. And every time we give in to the world's advertisements for these products of sin, we're just ruining our relationship with God over and over again. When we sin, we're not like the mother bear defending her cubs. We're more like a household dog that has gone rabid and is hurting people against its better nature. And you and I both know what usually happens to rabid dogs, which makes what God has done so marvelous, so amazing, so incredible. Later on in John's epistle, he says, how great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called children of God. And that is what we are. Brothers and sisters, no one of us can say that when we sin, we're just being who we are, we're just acting out our instincts, because that's no longer true in Christ. Your identity before God is not defined by your sinful nature, by your history of bad behavior. Thanks to Jesus, it is defined by Christ. Even though we were like the, the sons and daughters of God who created us and we, we ran away from him, we're like his wayward children, what did he do through Jesus? He came out after us and he brought us back into his home and he called us his sons and his daughters again. When John says that God is our Father, he's not using a metaphor. He's not using flowery language or an illustration. It's 100% real. God is your heavenly Father. Even when our earthly fathers fail us, God never has, and he never will 
He's your father because you come from him. He's your father because he provides for you. He's your father because he loves you with an everlasting love that he just can't quit, can he? He has shown you that in Jesus Christ because he's forgiven you all of your sins. And this forgiveness is a lot more than saying, ah, it's okay, you didn't know any better. It's a lot more meaningful than just sweeping your sins under the rug. No, our sins, the, 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 the ruin of our relationship that we caused with our sins had to be fixed, had to be restored. And that's exactly what Jesus did through his death, through his resurrection. When he granted faith, when he put faith into your heart, he restored your relationship with God. Now it is not sin that defines you. It is the fact that you are a child of God. That's your real identity. And when you became a child of God, whether at your baptism or the first time you heard the word, God opened your eyes. He opened your eyes to see what those advertisements from the world are really about. That they don't come from a good place and they don't lead to a good place. That not only is a ruin of our relationship with God bad for us, but where does it end up in the end? If we are to make our home here on earth as if this is the most important thing, where does that get us? The world and its desires, John says, it passes away. Which means the world cannot promise, on, cannot deliver on a single promise of everlasting peace or joy. I don't care how many Swiffer wet jets you buy. That is a promise only God can deliver on. And he has and he will. That means John is inviting us to question, to question ourselves. Not to question our identity. Remember, that is set in stone. That is concrete. Jesus has declared once and for all, you are a forgiven child of God. But John, through this lesson, is inviting us to question our instincts, to question our desires, to ask, where is this coming from? Because that sinful nature still plagues us until that final moment when we cast it off for good and God calls us into heaven. To question if these instincts and these desires come from my sinful nature or from the child of God that Jesus has made me. And that sounds so simple, doesn't it? Until you go to actually do it. Until the, the young Christian questions why he or she wants to find someone to date and to marry and to have kids with. Is it because these are blessings, God says in his word, are good things and they simply desire what their heavenly father promises are good? Or could it be that they've bought into the lie, they've purchased the product, they've bought into the ad that says you are not a complete person unless you are dating, unless you are romantically involved? It's simple, but it's not easy, especially when the Christian worker walks into her boss's office to ask for a raise and she has to ask herself, is this because I want to provide for my family? Is this because there are other workers who have been here working the same position for the exact same amount of time and they're making more than me in the interest of fairness? Or could it be that she's bought into the lie, the advertisement of the world, 
that your worth is connected to how much you make. It sounds simple, but it's not easy to put your desires and your instincts under the microscope to see where they come from. But remember, your Heavenly Father hasn't left you without resources. He gives you His Word. His love letter reminding you of your history, who you were, and your identity, who you are now, and your future, where you are going. And he tells you what his will is for you. He tells you how to live in such a way that you can enjoy a blessed relationship with him, removing all obstacles. And he reminds you again and again what attachment to this world means. It doesn't mean good for you, but how much more blessed it is to be in Christ. See, what Jesus has done for you and me is he has placed a new set of instincts in our heart, hasn't he? Now we are not just sin machines who are sinning over and over again, but by becoming new children of God, we are in relationship with God and we desire to do the things that please our Heavenly Father. We know that that's what we're here for. Our eyes are open, finally. We understand that God will deliver us from all the pain, from all the struggles, from all the hardships of this life, and that in the end, when we're in heaven with God, we will know that it was all worth it. It was worth it going through the, the, the extra work of questioning our desires and our instincts. We will know that it was worth it to stay more connected to Christ than we are to the world. We know that it was worth it to ignore all those advertisements the world is sending our way that lead us away from God. That our relationship with God is our number one priority because it's only God who will deliver. And that is our greatest desire. Amen.